0: Welcome into to 2 Four Drafts, Austin Gale here, the host of 2 for 1 Drafts, a Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. I'm here in Cincinnati with my guy, Mike Renner, ready to rip it up. We have to talk about these trades. 49ers, Dolphins, and Eagles all bust out trades that impact the 2021 NFL Draft. We're also going to look at the 2021 defensive line class overview, continue our overview series, and then interviews with Florida State's Asante Samuel Jr. and Syracuse cornerback Ifatu Melifanwu. Let's get it. Smelling salt to the right nostril both times, and I feel like that was not how I wanted to start this podcast, but here we are.
1: You got to go first one one side, and then next one the other side, just to basically clear it out. Man. It's like, a, it's like a nice gulp of horseradish. Oh, I do. I love horseradish.
0: Yeah. Shout out to Mike Quinn. Kenny Galladay did not sign with the Cincinnati Bengals, so he owed us. A brand new box of assaults and those are first aid only those yeah. are legit these 100 ones, count yeah
1: no i i didn't skimp. these will these will take you from, from a coma if, if you're
0: these look one. real man i'm excited i'm feeling pretty jacked and i gotta start with this draft guide giveaway pff's final edition of the 2021 nfl draft guide is out big shout out to you andrew russell oh, who's you. the designer of the draft guide also david Sofar works on the data side of it um Editors, Mark DeChester, a ton of names to shout out to get this draft guide up on the site, available to Edge and Elite subscribers, and some of you that leave a review in Apple Podcasts. You leave a review in Apple Podcasts, five-star review, you leave a review there, mention you want a draft guide, and then send me a screenshot of that review via Twitter DM. My DMs are open, they're wide open. You come through with a screenshot of that review, you enter a chance to win a draft guide. How many am I giving out, Mike? 50%. Of the DMs I receive. If I get 100 DMs, I'm getting 50 draft guides away. If I get 3,000 DMs, I'm giving 1,500 draft guides away. That's how it's going to work. That's how it happens. So you want a draft guide, DM me a screenshot of your new Apple Star review. It has to come after March 29th. March 29th or after. Can't be an old review. No cheating. No cheating the system. Go get it. Other item to bring up. Don't DM me. DM you.
1: Don't DM Mike. Mike yeah. doesn't answer DMs. I will, I'll just only let chicks. It ignore it. Yeah, I mean, unless you're a very attractive profile picture, then maybe I will.
0: That's why you answered me. <laughs> anyway, um, after draft guy giveaway, the other big item here, and I got, I'll, I, I shit you not, I got over 100, 150 DMs about this. Okay. Liv Cowherd, Trey Trey Lance saga continues. Apparently, Colin Cowherd did a mock draft, and he had Trey Lance as the first quarterback off the board going to the Miami Dolphins at three. This was obviously before the trade news broke out, and we'll get to that after this. But And then when he was breaking down why he chose Trey Lance, he said something along the lines of, I'm not going to lie to you right now, Trey Lance was at my house last night, or something along those lines. Quinn, I put the clip in the chat. You should throw it up right now.
2: All right, number three, the Miami Dolphins are selecting. Colin?
1: Okay. Trey Lance. Whoa. Whoa. The first whoa. Oh, I think he's special.
0: Okay. Um, You got that off of his 300 passing attempts in college? By the way, uh, I'm not going to lie. He was at my house uh, 24 hours ago. Oh, name
1: drop. I uh, love your name. Very humble. Very gracious. He's got all the right things in life that he cares about. Everything that you're not. Yeah. So,
0: you know, whatever. So that happened. That happened. Trey Lance was at Colin Cowherd's house. Why
1: do you think that was, Mike? Mm, I have a good idea why that may be. <laughs> and it may be because of his daughter Liv. Does Liv Cowherd live with Colin Cowherd, though? I, I don't, or is I, this like more of a formal
0: meeting? I'm not like, that hey, deep
1: in the weeds on this I'm not in. I'm not either, but I kind of want to be. But but I'm saying if it, I'm back on that show and Trey Lance gets brought up.
0: Yeah, the bet's off. That's new information I didn't have during the bet. I didn't know Colin was so open about Trey just hanging out at the crib. Yeah, do you think Colin gives a shit? No. I just want to know if like Liv lives there. Liv lives there with Colin, and Trey Lance was invited over for like a Netflix and chill situation here. I just don't know what's going on there. It's interesting because I wouldn't be surprised if she did. I'm sure Colin has a pretty decent house. I mean, it's hard to leave the nest sometimes. But Trey Lance shot his shot multiple times. But I was I did some research on this actually. Trey Lance and Liv Cowherd have had a connection since June 2020. Because I was, I I Twitter searched Liv Cowherd, Trey Lance, because I was trying to find more information. And I found people replying to Liv Cowherd's tweets about, Heard you're seeing Trey Lance, Heard you're seeing Trey Lance. So this has been brewing, brother. This is like a long term thing. They might actually be officially dating at this point.
1: Interesting. Yeah, probably. That's what it seems like.
0: Anyway, if Trey Lance goes number one, number three, (laughs) I love Colin Cowherd's rationale. Hey, I met him last night, stand up, dude. Honestly, it's kind of like me with the interviews. <laughs> yeah, he swayed me. He got If any me. prospects start dating my daughter, I, I'll probably move him up the board. Um, all right, now let's get to the biggest news, the less joke news here. But San Francisco 49ers get aggressive, trade two future first-round picks and a future third-round pick to go up from number 12 to number 3 yes. to get the number 3 overall pick where we're seeing a lot of speculation on which quarterback they're going to take. We'll get into that conversation as well. The Miami Dolphins come down from 3 to 12 with those two first-round picks and the future third and then immediately trade their 2022 first-round pick, not the ones they got, their own 2022 first-round pick, to go back up from 12 to 6 with the Philadelphia Eagles and get the number 6 overall pick. So Niners go from 12 to 3. Dolphins go from 3 to 12 to 6. Eagles go from 6 to 12. Let's start with the San Francisco 49ers. Your opinion of them getting uber-aggressive, sending, obviously, three future picks, including two first-rounders,
1: to go up from 12 to 3? Had to do it. Had to do it. And I think I said it numerous times like they will not be this close to an elite quarterback prospect again you have kyle shannon as coach you have a very talented roster Like the bottom fell out and you got to 12. and you're in a class where there's more quarterback talent than we've seen in our seven years doing this maybe in terms of where they go draft wise maybe the highest end we've ever seen quarterbacks went one two three only once in the nfl draft four quarterbacks go on the top 10 only once i think both those are safely to be hit again Mm -hmm. this upcoming draft so it it is a rare quarterback class you're not going to be in a position to get one of those guys every single year so that had to be done from their perspective they gave up a lot and now it's just who did they give it up for because obviously i think the report was the eagles wanted to get in the mix in the quarterback class but only if it was zach wilson if they were able to get him. and now it seems like everyone and their mother's predicting Zach Wilson to the Jets, that's who they are in on. And so it's Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson. Who do they like of that next tier of Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Mac Jones? I am of the opinion that this could very well be Trey Lance, who they're going for, especially if now they're saying they want to keep Jimmy Garoppolo. But if they realistically are keeping Jimmy Garoppolo, that gives you that high-end tools to work with to plug into Shanahan's offense, whereas I just cannot see this being Mac Jones. Mm-hmm. I, I know why the smoke is there with Mac Jones. Obviously, Chris Sims and Kyle Shanahan are buddies from back in college. Not just buddies. They, have, they matching have matching tattoos. tattoos. Yeah, they are close friends. And we don't
0: even have matching tattoos.
1: We're not going to anytime soon. Come on. Time. And Chris Sims has, is super high on Mac Jones, has been banging the table for how good he is. But I just don't think you give – You give up two first-rounders for a Mac Jones does not seem like kind of the way the NFL is going. And and Benjamin Solak pointed out this great quote from Kyle Shanahan uh, about his evaluation, how it's changed on the quarterback position. And I'll just read it here. He said, you start to see you can win football games with any type of quarterback as long as they are good enough and you can be good enough in hundreds of different ways. So I evaluate quarterbacks in terms of trying to find people who have a chance to be one of those elite-type guys and there's a lot of different ways to do it. It went on to say that you look for a guy who's at ninety-eighth percentile or better than ninety-eight percent of humans on the planet and then work around them. So that's that to me, like his his type in the past has been Matt Ryan, Jimmy G. That's who he's gone for. Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins. That would suggest Mac Jones. But that quote would also, and the way kind of the NFL is trending would suggest you might you can you maybe can operate with a you can work around the tools you guys nowadays
0: a few things there one if mac jones is in the 98th percentile of human beings quinn you should throw up the picture of him with the cigar shirtless after the alabama game if he's in the 90th percentile, i might be pretty damn fucking close Two, this the reports are right now that obviously you have the chris sims kyle shanahan connection also mm-hmm. daniel jeremiah recently said on the podcast with robert mays the athletic football show that he is there is a growing understanding in the league that the San Francisco 49ers want Mac Jones at number three overall. And the other thing there is that I don't think it's coincidence that this trade broke down on the same day as BYU's pro day. I think it was a a very good opportunity for like 32 teams to be together in the same spot. And I think the, out of that pro day, there were multiple reporters saying the jets are locked into Zach Wilson, number two. I think that gave John Lynch and the San Francisco 49ers a clear idea of which quarterbacks are going to be available at three. And they pulled the trigger. Mm Hmm and that's why you're going to see Trevor Lawrence at 1, Zach Wilson at 2, and then the speculation around reporters is that Mac Jones at 3, but also there's this other understanding that they could go trade Lance because Jimmy Garoppolo in his contract has a no trade clause. And if you trade for him, you take on that I think $23 million cap hit, while the San Francisco 49ers only take on like $2.5 million in dead money. I don't think there's I was talking to Brad Spielberger on the Sirius show, and he was saying there's a better chance that he's released than he's traded because teams don't want to trade for that contract. And they know that the San Francisco 49ers can release him and still not have that dead money on the cap. So it's an interesting situation. I do like what the 49ers did. I love that they're going up, getting aggressive, and grabbing a quarterback. This is a team that's going to be better in 2021 regardless. If Jimmy G starts whoever, they had one of the worst Injury lux of any team in 2020, yeah. Richard Sherman battling injuries, Nick Bosa, Jamie Garoppolo, a handful of injuries that just simply aren't going to too. Yeah, the wide receivers too. a handful of injuries that simply aren't going to happen again in 2022. Like injury regression is going to come up for the San Francisco 49ers. And when you're a team that's picking, you know, with between 16 and 20 next year and what should be, at least right now, a worse quarterback class. The time to get aggressive is now, and you saw that. Now, getting aggressive to go up for Mac Jones, who I would argue isn't in the 98th percentile among human beings on the planet and isn't the third best quarterback in this class. That's where I have a little that's where I disagree with maybe with the decision. I would rather wait for a Mac Jones and go up and trade two future first round picks yeah. and a third for Mac Jones.
1: Yeah, that's just my thing. It's just it doesn't seem like I don't want to say there's Mac Jones comes around every single year. But Trey Lance has a more a more rare skill set than Mac Jones. Yep. Is the what I think is how I would approach that. And and I Daniel Jeremiah had a good take on this as well, in that you now have Rams and Packers in your conference running similar offenses with guys who are more talented quarterback, more talent more physically talented than Mac Jones. You're gonna get through those guys a, every year? I don't know. With I, don't I don't want to be know. the team. But I <laughs> but I'm just saying like that's it's a you have to, like, the home run ticket that could be what what Trey Lance's tools are, what Justin Fields' tools are, seems like more, like, that, that can get you four or five Super Bowls. Max Jones doesn't seem like that's the upshot there.
0: You want an example of a team that nearly won a Super Bowl, was very competitive for a season with a middling quarterback that wasn't, you know, an elite-level athlete or had these rare traits, but did it because they had a good defense in these things, and how they've struggled since— to build a Super Bowl-winning roster, the San Francisco 49ers—they're that exact team. You know, you don't want to try and win with a Jimmy Garoppolo-type quarterback. Where at his peak, he is in that eight to fifteen range, not that one to five range. Yeah. Trey Lance can be a top five quarterback in the NFL. Justin Fields can be a top five quarterback in the NFL. Given what we've seen from Mac Jones, the present—the percent likelihood that he develops into that top five transcendent player without the traits of a Fields or a Lance is just so much lower. And I think that's why, again, PFF is going to mock. Lance or Fields to San Francisco at three overall until the draft. However, maybe Mac Jones ultimately does become that guy. We will have to see.
1: I do think you'll be a good fit for that offense, though. Like, I do think he
0: – Just not as good of a fit. But yeah,
1: but just not – like, you'll get Jimmy G again.
0: Yeah. Can't wait! All right, let's jump. More accurate, Jimmy let's team. jump to the second team involved in these trades. You have the Miami Dolphins trading back from three to twelve, picking up two future first rounders and a third rounder, and then quickly making the decision in the same hour to trade from twelve back up to six. Before we dive into who you think they're going to take at six and why they made that decision, what's your opinion of just sending the extra first rounder to
1: go up six spots? Oh, that one that made no sense. I that the first trade hit. I was like, okay, per, they had that was. The Dolphins had to get out of three if they were going to take an offensive lineman or a wide receiver. It made no sense to stay there. The value you could get in a trade was going to far, far, far outweigh any position player you could take there. So got out of three. Well done. Got a haul for it. Great trade. Then to just like, I think they looked at the decisions in tandem, more being like, oh, we get to move back to six and add an extra first rounder. Instead of looking at it like, oh, we just had this all-time fleecing. Let's Play our cards close to the vest now. And they kind of just gave away that yep. 2022 20, first rounder, it seemed like. I, I, I don't, just to get, just to make sure they got one of these wide receivers. If on draft day the wide receivers start falling, they they maybe maybe could get one of those top three guys without having to give up in a single pick. Agreed. Like that's a very realistic scenario that one of Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, probably not Tamar Chase, is sitting there staring you in the face of number 12 overall. And yeah, now you're assuredly going to get one of them, Kyle Pitts, whoever it may be. I would think, but man, like it, that seems like, and if you were going to execute that trade, it just, you'd get better value on draft day than you did giving up a future first rounder right now. So that one was a bit of a head scratcher, but still I think the net was a huge positive for them.
0: I, I really agree with that. I, I don't think you should. You, anytime you're trading a future first round pick for a non quarterback, like going up and getting a non quarterback, which they essentially are unless maybe they're after the fifth best quarterback in this class at six, which I highly doubt, obviously, yeah. highly doubt they would have stayed at three if they were even in the quarterback market, but to go up, to make sure they get their guy. Again, this is, I think, an example of being a little bit overconfident in your evaluation. We want to make sure we get Devonte Smith. We want to make sure we get Jamar chase. It's like, Hey, there are three really, really good receivers in this class. And even if you take a step back and look at Rashad Bateman or Elijah Moore, these guys later, Terrace Marshall, you don't have to give up future first rounders for your guy. That's There's a the very thing. good chance that the receivers drafted in the first round, multiple of them, even
1: guys that fall today day two, are more productive at the gate. That's the thing. It's the, and especially for a wide receiver, what they're going on at the beginning, where you've seen guys late in the first round, yeah. mid of the second round, come in and be elite. Like, elite wide receivers like that it's not one that it's a super scarce position especially yeah. early on in the draft maybe you get to rounds three four it dries up the guys that they know are good receiving talents still go early ish but i think recent history has definitely shown you can find one outside of the top 10 picks you don't need number six overall to make sure you get a good wide receiver so that one a head scratcher for me but from the eagles perspective wow what a, what a hell of a trade yes it's that week 17 loss just got them a first round pick. When people talking about, you know, wide tank, it's only three spots. They don't get that extra first round pick if it's only three spot If they're not sitting at if they're sitting at nine instead of six. So hey, well done by Howie Roseman on that one.
0: Yeah, I mean the Eagles, that was an easy win for them, especially if they're looking to commit, at least for now, to Jalen Hurts adding that future first-round pick, coming down, and still likely, very likely either getting the number one or number two cornerback in this class, whether that's Horn or Sertan, or getting one of those big receivers, getting a a Waddle or or a Devontae Smith. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic stuff. I think it was win-win-win for all three teams. I think the only loss of my least favorite trade or move was the Dolphins going back from 12 to 6. I think other big losers in this, and we'll finish with this and dive into the defensive line overview. Carolina Panthers big losers now, they're you know, sitting at eight and they can't trade up to four that most shit, likely the yeah. because the Atlanta Falcons aren't going to aren't going to give them a quarterback or give them the opportunity to come up. So the Atlanta, I think the Carolina Panthers are big losers and another sneaky loser Penay Sewell, you know, Penay Sewell is rumored to be like a potential number three overall pick. And now you see maybe the Cincinnati Bengals are locking into a Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts because Joe Burrow didn't take Riley reef to dinner and convince him to sign. I think he wanted to do that because he's also banging the table for the front office to go yeah, get a pass was. catcher. You know, it's like, hey, if I can get Riley Reed to sign here, and then I can convince them, hey, we don't need an offensive tackle. Let's go get my guy Chase or my guy Pitts, or it's not his guy yet, but it could be. But I, I do think that you could see Panay Sewell drop outside the top five. And yeah. then you have the Miami Dolphins there sitting at six, who obviously want a wide receiver, have already drafted a first round Offensive tackle, Nostin Jackson. They pass on him. In my latest mock draft for PFF.com, which we'll get into on the Wednesday episode, I haven't fallen to seven for the for the Detroit Lions, which obviously it's not a catastrophic fall, but that's millions of dollars. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's a millions of dollar loss for Panay Sewell. Do you think the Detroit Lions are a fit for Panay Sewell at seven? Or where do you think he ultimately comes yeah. off the board now?
1: I think the Lions would be hard-pressed to pass Panay Sewell mm-hmm. with – Dan Campbell assuming he wants to build through the trenches. Yes. And just like they could use a tackle also. You got Tyrell Crosby or a big V starting at right tackle. That's, that's not Penny Sewell. Yeah. That ain't close. And then you'd have Taylor Decker and Penny Sewell. That's one heck of an offensive tackle combo to start your – Franchise off. The,
0: the, the other right thought place. there is say if they pass on soul and go after Micah Parsons or something, you could see Dan Campbell go in that direction. The other spot I thought made sense is Denver Bronco. At, Denver Broncos at nine, even though they did just pay Garrett Bowles and juan James is supposedly coming back from the opt out. It's like,
1: you, do you let soul fall past nine? Like at a certain point, he's just too good of no, a prospect to will, pass. He'll up. come off the board if he passed If he falls past the lines, I would be absolutely floored. Again, so. and it kind of
0: continues to underline why did the Miami Dolphins trade up to six? Because you have a lot of these guys that are going to get fit in. If Mac Jones goes at three, which again, the league is suspecting that. A lot of the league, according to Daniel Jeremiah, is suspecting the Niners want Mac Jones at three. We could see five quarterbacks go in the first five, six picks. At, at least five by Carolina's pick at eight. Yeah. And that's not if that's if Denver doesn't trade up from nine or New England doesn't trade up from 15 to go get a guy. Like, you could see five quarterbacks go. Mm-hmm. Panay Sewell has to come off the board. Kyle Pitts has to come off the board. At a certain point, there's just not enough picks for all the receivers to come off. So again, I I just don't understand why the Miami Miami Dolphins did that. I loved the initial trade, didn't love what they did with that first rounder to go back up to six. All right, you ready to get into the defensive line here? Yeah, let's
1: do the defensive line class.
0: You could talk about these trades all day long. I mean, they heavily impact what the 2021 NFL draft is going to look like. What do the Falcons do at four now? What do the Bengals do at five? It's an interesting conversation. We'll get more into it maybe when we talk about my mock draft on Wednesday. All right, defensive line overview. To start here, the edge class, very good. However, not a Chase Young in this class. It's, it's, it's an interesting class in that there are a lot of talented edge defenders, but a lot of them are projects, guys that maybe won't be out of the gate outstanding. And then you look at the defensive tackle class. There's one really talented player, and then it falls off kind of off a cliff, and there's not a lot of, like, day one starters at the defensive tackle position, at least high-end starters at the defensive tackle position in this class. Let's start with edge and um, give me your overview of the class.
1: Yeah, let's kick it off. So there's seven edge guys on the PFF draft board between 22 and 44. Wow. That's where there's just a group of guys who are in that range. Shit, you don't know. Like, that's a very uncertain range. And I've said, I'm not sure I want to be the guy that takes an edge rusher first because 20 picks later, you'll be getting a guy that's very similarly talented but just because that's kind of where the edge class falls. So Quiddy Pay is still tops on our board, Michigan edge defender. We didn't get to see the cone at his pro day. Tur- hamstring tweaked up or something. Yeah, something like that. But he's still, what he put up, 30 something reps on the bench. He still he still showed out. It, it was still pretty freaky. What Quiddy Pay did, he is just explosive, twitched up, uh, ideal sort of physical tools that. You don't have to you don't have to have much more. And we've already seen him. The biggest thing and why he is edge one for us is the massive year on year growth. Like two, you go back and watch maybe like 2018 film, and he's just no no feel for defensive line whatsoever in terms of taking on blocks, pass rushing moves. Bottom of the barrel. This past year, completely different, like only four games, but legitimately took over games at times. The Minnesota game, unblockable. Uh, so I think that sort of progression is easy to buy in on when he is that freaky. He is Chase Young levels of athletic freak and what he brings to the table. So He's just not Chase Young levels of polish. He's just not Chase Young levels of polish. So I, I trust he can get there with what he is. And now talk about Chase Young loves a freaky. This guy might be the second edge on our list. Might be the freakiest edge rusher his pro day, Jason Always, Pro Day, Penn State, edge defender. Was the was the freakiest pro day I think I've ever seen. 439, 39 and a half inch vertical, 11 one broad jump, and a sub seven three cone.
0: And at, over 250 pounds. Over
1: 250 pounds. Those are out of this world numbers. And has the size, the length, the whatever you want for the position. The biggest pro here in the draft, guys, is juice. Evident every single snap. Biggest con those passiveness. He's not he does not attack even the way quitty Pay attacks. Like he is not going at it every single snap. There is some just kind of he looks like a former basketball player. Like he was a basketball player until 2016. That's when that was he was playing. Love. Football. That's when he started playing football. And it's just kind of the physical part of the game is not quite there yet for him. But Another guy who it's a lot better than it was last year. His run defense grade proved by over 30 points from 2019 to 2020. Still, uh, the thing is, in this entire edge class, though, they're all massive works in progress, except for maybe Aziz Ojalari who's next up on this list. So if you're all massive, like, all need a lot of work, I'm going to go with the guys who have the most ideal physical tools. And that is, in my opinion, Kuipe, then Jason Elway. Phillip's probably a third on that list. And then Russo fourth. That's Jim Phillips, Miami, Russo of Miami. Those guys have their pro today. We'll get some numbers on them. But Aziz have I would-
0: some measurements if you want them.
1: Oh, do you? For Russo and Phillips. Let's get them.
0: All right. So some of the crazy ones. Uh, Russo came in at 6'6, 266, 11 inch hands. Those are some freaking mitts. Damn, Lord. Joe Burrow is just jealous <laughs> as hell. 11 wrong. inch hands. All right. Then he had 34 and 34 inch arms, yep. massive, and 83 and a quarter inch wing. That's and then for Jalen Phillips, 6'5, 260. 9 and 34th inch hands a little small. That's and then wild. arm is 33 and a quarter. Wing 80 and 3 quarters. Those are some those are some, those are some nice length. Big that's boys. Length, that's length, man.
1: Mm, you would know. Uh, but yeah. So those guys are fourth and fifth on this. Uh, Azizo Jolari, though, third. George Edge Fender, the only one who actually rushed past passer at an elite level last year. 91.7 pass rushing grade. We saw him just when he went up against bad tackles they they couldn't block him yep. if he would have just unblockable in that uh cincinnati game down the stretch his cornering his hand usage all pluses biggest condo not particularly strong does not not threaten with the bull rush he's not going to go through offense tackles got to go around him and that's just it's a difficult game to win consistently you see a lot of guys in that sort of mold be inconsistent up and down sort of edge rush. brian burns has done it at the NFL level but even him when he goes up against good left tackles a lot of times over the past couple years like he'll get shut down just because
0: he doesn't have that bowl
1: yeah because there's only a couple ways you can win and off the tackles in the NFL the athletic aspect of it the you know the mirroring being able to stay and maintain a relationship guys do that at the NFL level you gotta have a number of ways to beat them at least you can't two. just survive you can't just survive off of hey I'm this this uh high level athlete. And especially when Ojalari's testing was good, nowhere near even Brian Burns range of athletics. So that's the worry with him. Undersized, he's gonna have to be perfect. I, I see him more as a like I said, Yannick Ngakwe is the comp in the draft guide. And he's a little bit better of a run a lot actually a lot better of a run defender. But that's who I kind of see him as at the next level. Somewhat undersized, six foot two,
0: two fifty, but he's got three four and three eighths inch arms. Yeah. Like those he's got an 82-48 yeah. wing. Like I mean that's yeah. for a
1: six two that's very yeah. good for Aziz Ojalari. Those are. So, he's third and all these guys are like, like I said, these guys are all I think they're all 20 to 25 on the draft board. It's a
0: blend, third. man. It's, it's tough. It's I, tough. I, I, and you, you you said this before we started recording, but I love this quote. It's that I don't want to be the team that takes the first edge off the board, you know, because you this is one where like Man, if Jalen Phillips falls to you or Owe falls to you, you feel so good. But if you're the first one to swing and you're like, I'm definitively saying Quiddy Pay is the best one, it's gonna be tough. Like, you know, because a lot of these guys, mm-hmm. it's gonna be very dependent on usage, situation, health, development. Defensive line coaches are gonna have to work wonders with Owe and Rousseau and um even Phillips and Phillips. Pei. Like all these guys are gonna need. Better pass rush moves in the NFL. Azizo Julari is the only one who has like a legitimate like star move. His you know his cross chop is yeah. beautiful on the outside, but he still needs to develop a counter. Like these edge guys, if you want a Chase Young, it's not coming. Yeah, it could be. There, there might be a Chase Young in this class, but he won't show up till year two, year three. Yeah.
1: Jalen Phillips fourth on the edge list. These guys are all still day one guys. His pop on contact, just this play strength, he's got it. Worry about him obviously the concussions we've talked about a bunch. Also, you only face right tackles. He only faced the lesser tackles at the college level. That's somewhat meaningful. So for him to have only an 87.6 pass rushing grade when he was only going up against the right tackles, when Quincy Roche was going up against left tackles, that's just, it's easier. Mm-hmm. You're having the easier role. You're going up against guys. It's not a lot of right tackles in college that end up playing in the NFL. So that's the biggest thing with him. Up next, Greg Rousseau, Miami. I mean, the 16 sacks. Pass rush and grade did not match that. Only a pass rush grade just over eighty last year because he he legitimately struggles to win against offensive tackles. His pass rush plan, he wins on contact. A lot of swim moves on the interior against guards, or he really doesn't have much else. Uh, still, still super raw. The frame, the tools. There's a lot to work with. The bend for a guy his size, all pretty special. But a guy where. His pass rushing grade was, I think, below 75 against offensive tackles on the outside last year. That's just not good. Like, that's just... If you're going to have to... I think we've seen it with Damian Clowney, and I, I think he's a different type of body type. I think he can feasibly get there. Jm Clowney is a little stiff and doesn't necessarily have the bend where he had to go on the inside to be productive. But I think we've seen it with J.M. Clowney when... When Houston really put him in that joker role and had him going all over up and down the line of scrimmage, That's that was when kind of he success. had his best years. When he was just put at base end, the pass rushing productivity is just not there. And I think that could be what you see from a guy like Rousseau.
0: I agree. And I mentioned to you and Steve Palazzolo about Gray Rousseau's comp, not maybe from an athleticism standpoint being Jadavion Clowney, but usage. I could see Rousseau being used very similar to how the Houston Texans use you know, Jadavion Clowney, not necessarily in his prime, but when he was most productive. When he was most productive, they were moving him head up over the center, head up over the guards, moving up and down, never had his hand in the line of scrimmage, never in the same spot twice. And that's when you saw Clowney actually look like a top 10, top 15 type of pick. Mm -hmm. Ever since then, if you traditionally play him as like a four three end, it's just not going to work. Like yeah. he has not had that level of success on the on the edge. Very interesting uh, to look at. You know, Javon Clowney is that number one overall pick over Khalil Mack uh, a few years ago, and him just not being mm-hmm. anywhere near
1: the same player that Khalil Mack has been. All right, now you want to jump to day two. Day two. So those guys, that, those five, I feel draft one of those five on day one. Good, solid, yep. got a good player. Carlos Basham kicks off day two here the Wake Forest edge defender a little different than any of the guys in the in this class and that real power and 280 pounds six foot four six five in that range where a little versatile You, you can put this guy inside if you want uh inside outside versatility he was number two on Bruce Feldman's freaks list last year and his like Biggest selling point is his agility at that size. He had like a four-one something, four-one-five. I want to say short shuttle at two hundred eighty pounds is special, and combined with like his explosiveness. But he almost relies on it too much. He does not want to play physical. Like he does not want to go through guys. He wants to go around them. And at two hundred eighty pounds, man, just with his get off, just start start bullying guys. You didn't see that enough on his tape to where. He went from a pass rushing grade over 90 last year to 76 this past season. That's that's a downgrade, and they tried to use him in a more versatile role instead of just lining up over left tackles like he did in 2019 and did not quite work out. So those are kind of the worries with him. I, I did think he looked good on the inside, though, rushing the pass at the senior bowl, so still feel good about him top of day two, could outperform even that draft slot.
0: I'm interested to see how teams view him and how they, how they view his kind of positional versatility. I talked to him on the podcast, and he said, you know, a lot of teams see me as an edge, but a lot of people want to kick me inside and do different things. So I do think that when you look at him and then another guy I put in that same tier, uh, Peyton Turner of Houston, you know, those two guys, I feel like you could move them inside and they could have a little bit, a little bit of a success. as like those multi-gap versatile type of defensive players. Yeah. I yeah. gave Peyton Turner in my latest mock, to the Pittsburgh Steelers, who all Steelers fans want to kill me because I gave them two defensive linemen when they already have T.J. Watt. But I do think that Peyton Turner doesn't have to come in and replace what they hope Alex Highsmith will be in year two. I think he could come in and he can kick on the inside and be very productive. And again, and it comes back to when you're doing these mock drafts, specifically when like a PFF person is doing them or me, I'm looking to get better at high-priced market-value positions a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think you can do that. The Pittsburgh Steelers could do that. I had them taking Gregory Rousseau and Peyton Turner. Get better along the defensive line. It's how they won the previous years. And I think getting cheaper there when you know you're going to have to pay T.J. Watt in the future, when you know you're going to have to uh, pay Chase Claypool or maybe Deontay Johnson, getting cheaper at those market-priced positions is smart. And I think Peyton Turner is a good fit for Pittsburgh. but. We skipped. How
1: we, yeah, how do we get on Peyton Turner there? Sorry. Uh, Roddy Perkins. Oklahoma I think Basham and Turner defender. are going to be used similarly. That's, Similar, that was okay. the connection. Roddy Perkins, Oklahoma edge defender. He's on the smaller side too at 6'2, 253, but I, I don't have any really worry about this guy in run defense. He's a real strong run defender. Upper by strength is a plus for him despite his size. They're uh, not a plus for him despite his size. Is good despite his size. I think he can hold up in that regard uh bull rusher one of the best in this class already well sort of well versed in that regard and that he can long arm you to death if he does and, and will like oftentimes on his tape at oklahoma the, the testing wasn't as good as i had hoped 4740, 740 uh only a 9-7 broad jump 32 inch vertical 25 bench press reps it was just like solid not excellent. I was hoping he would be putting himself in that tier of these other guys, freaky edge defenders in this draft class. But that's still for an edge rusher that can definitely get by at the next level. So I just wish we would have seen him more on tape. Like only six, what six games this past year? Didn't play a lot. Uh, had started two years, but like this year was when he really turned it on. And would have liked if he had come back to school. Probably could have made his way into the first round next year.
0: All right, jumping to Joseph Asai of Texas.
1: Oh yeah, the Peyton Turner, one of our favorites in the draft class, oh, was yeah. dominant. Uh, but he said similar body type to a to a Carlos Basham, long arms, two hundred seventy plus pounds, Houston edge defender. Again, another guy we didn't get to see a ton of, only four games this past year, but he showed enough in that, and he beat up some all right tackles. And then looked good, not great at the Senior Bowl. So Joseph Asai is the one I go back and forth on. He had a 41.5-inch vertical at his pro day. Uh, gets off the line really well. High-motor guy, high-effort guy, just cannot set a hard edge. Does not have much power to him, despite that explosiveness, despite that leaping ability. But he is relatively new to rushing the passer full-time. Very Only new. did it this past year. Was an off-ball hybrid the year prior where he'd rush and drop into coverage about an equal amount. So it's just an underdeveloped guy from a technical standpoint. I think he will be coveted by teams that do a lot of true 3-4 stuff where that, that they got edge guys dropping into coverage because he can do that. He, he is That is his best role, in my opinion. Stunts, not necessarily going one-on-one all the time straight off the edge. I
0: think that I would take – it depends, it depends on your scheme. you know. I think it's not as simple as take the best edge defender available Joseph Asai's here. We're going to take him. I definitely think there are going to be teams that covet guys you have lower here like Rashad Weaver, <clears throat> maybe Patrick Johnson, some of these other guys over a Joseph Asai, depending on the, the scheme they do run.
1: Yeah, he's not going to be for everybody. That's for sure. Like when the Chiefs got rid of D Ford, mm-hmm. that's a similarly, Asai's a similar player. You got to keep him way on the outside. He's got to be a rush from a wide nine or hand up. He's not going to go head up on a tight end and ask him to play the run. He'll he can, he'll get still owned by tight ends as a possibility. So. He also had that tape against Tevin Jenkins that was also yeah. horrendous. So, Rashad Weaver, Pitt edge, edge Defenders next. Long, 6'5", uses his hands exceptionally well. It's just not – it's just a below average athlete for the edge. Now, there's different ways to win. So, like we said with AJ Epinesa last year, if you're just winning with pure power and that's who you are, you can win in the NFL level. Like we saw Epinesa give Slater more trouble than uh, Chase Young did, and, and I think he looked all right as a rookie too. Uh, Epinesa did. Uh, there is a path to success. It's just such an athletic-based position that I'll take the guy with explosiveness higher. So he's very good with his hands, a lot of strength, a lot of play strength. A every down sort of run defender in a four-three defense. That's Rashad Weaver. Next up on the list, Joe Tryon. Before you jump off of Weaver, he also had
0: really good um change of direction testing. His short shuttle and, and cone yeah. were all up in like the 80th percentile. He had a, a lot of success from a bend perspective on those drills.
1: Joe Tryon up next. Do you love the is it a sub seven, three cone? Because you know I love a sub seven three it, I think it might have been a sub seven. Well, let's go look up if you had sub I got seven you. three cone. I'll get in. I'll get in there. I'm guessing you didn't. That's a oh we did. He is six yeah. nine seven.
0: Yeah, he's out there grinding. That though. is
1: nice. That's you love to see that. That's the bend. You'd love to see. So that's a, that's a past success, but 48840 at 259 pounds, it's not good. Yeah, that's not good. The
0: explosiveness uh, wasn't there, but the bend, the, bend. it's kind of like Curtis Weaver a little bit. Remember Curtis yeah. Weaver? Not yeah. not near Curtis the Weaver same
1: build. build.
0: I think Curtis Weaver had a little bit more um, arms. baby fat on him, but yeah. I think um, similar in that he could bend it like a motherfucker.
1: Joe Tryon up next, the Washington edge defender, not productive. That's not why you're buying in Joe Trine. You're buying him for the reps where, you know, he, he stands up Penesul. You're buying him for the reps where he bull rushes right through an offensive tackle at 6'5", 260 with legit explosiveness. That's what you're buying into is that that guy can become something more. But, man, he was – talk about some of these other guys being run. He was 71.9 pass rushing grade back in 2019 before opting out this past year. And he's a little bit stiff. He is a pure straight line sort of edge rusher doesn't use his hands exceptionally well. It's just, that's a project to me. That's why he's late day too. And then you got the two lane duo to my favorite sort of late rounders or not. They might go late round, small school guys, cam sample, two lane highest grade in the one-on-ones at, at the senior ball, Exceptional. It's plays super low. Is so strong. The guy can 280 pounds, but I think he can even play three technique if you want him to, uh, Love his tape. And then Patrick Johnson's the guy who I really didn't get around to him, really watching in depth more. And he had a pass rush grade until this past, like over the past month here, until recently. He was going to be a senior bowl invite, got her. His hands are exceptional and quick as can be. Some of the best hands in the draft class. He's had a pass rushing grade. He had a pass rushing grade over 90 as a sophomore back in 2018. In true passing situations, he is the highest graded pass rusher over the past three years of college football. The guy he kind of just, he's not a, he's not a high end athlete, doesn't have great bend, but man, I, I think he is my favorite sort of, I'm just pure pass rusher outside of, you know, kind of like the top group of guys kind of like the, the, Underrated, like the he's probably going to go day three. He's probably my favorite in that mold, kind of like I don't know Trey Hendrickson when he was coming. Out. I love Trey Hendrickson coming out of said FIU, FAU, one of those two. That's kind of how I feel about Patrick Johnson. Do you like, love him I'm enough like, to give him fifteen million dollars a year? No, not that much. <laughs> not that much. Sorry, Trey.
0: How how interchangeable are these day two guys are for you? Because I know you say day one, like you know you obviously have a ranking, but they could go mm-hmm. anyway. How about day two? Is there like a clear line or a clear drop
1: off here? Or? Day two is more. Uh, these guys, so I think Basham, Perkins are in there. Those two guys are the closest to day one. Then after that, it's more, what, what, what are you looking for? True. I think there's, then those guys are from Peyton Turner, Joseph Asai, Rashad Weaver, Joe Tron, Cam Sample, Patrick Johnson. What type of bodies? What, what type of pass rush are you looking for? What was your scheme looking for? That's, that's kind of the decision between those guys.
0: All right. Jumping to day three here, a whole host of names, and then we'll get to the defensive tackle class.
1: You want to just rattle through yep. those bad boys, then I'll just, name some guys i like from that okay
0: dayo Odeyingbo. am i pronouncing that right i think it's dio 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 dingbo is that the notre dame guy vanderbilt vanderbilt joshua kando florida state chauncey golston iowa <laughs> narius robinson florida state chris yep. rump duke ellerson smith northern iowa northern iowa jonathan cooper ohio state jordan smith uab patrick jones of pittsburgh and then dalen hayes Notre Dame.
1: He is the Notre Dame guy. That's right. Uh,
0: I, I miss uh, I miss Dayo and Daylon all the time.
1: We yeah. need to turn it into a game where every
0: time you guess one of these correct, we give you something. A smelling or, salt. Mm, and I, yeah, or when I get to, it wrong, I have to take have a to smelling salt.
1: How's the whole one? Right. You have to sniff, inhale until it, until it completely uh, is done. Okay. That'll be if you get one wrong. All right. Which names do you like on all this? All right. List? Janarius Robinson and... Chauncey Golston and Joshua Kendo are the most intriguing ones here to me because they have the kind of the physical size, length, power, whatever, like that that body type that can win. It's really haven't won much though. <laughs> like it hasn't actually happened on a football field yet. The other guys have like Chris Rump from Duke, undersized. You're gonna have to have a role from them. Ellerson Smith and Jordan Smith are super thin. Don't play with power. They're probably Dprs. Diode Yingbo has the Achilles like. But those three are kind of, they have the physical ability. It's just, can you coach them up? I, I don't think they're special in terms of like explosiveness, though. They're kind of just like solid athletes, but have that body type that like it makes your life a lot easier at the NFL level. So those are the three I would highlight from that group. Not even Chris Rumpf, PFF Darling. PFF Darling, but goddamn, he can't play, he can't get up to, he can't get his weight to like an, range that's even close to rushing the passer he's 230 last year and and looked slowed like he had slowed down from 2019 when he was like 220.
0: Jordan Smith also is an interesting player out of UAB he's had some success there I think he's a stick
1: that guy though and anyone gets his hands on him like he is just play strength is low and that's a that's a tough sell again at the NFL level. Oh right now are you
0: looking at Charles Snowden then as an off-ball
1: linebacker type? Yeah Charles Snowden I think is off-ball. Okay
0: all right before we jump to defensive tackles can I break Can I have a little break, a little segment here? Daniel Jeremiah just tweeted this out, and I kind of want your take on it. It's kind of dominating Twitter right now. You have to, interesting to insert Sam Darnold's availability into this draft class. Obviously, that will determine what the Jets do at pick two. For me, he would be third. His rankings, with Sam Darnold included, are Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, then Sam Darnold, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, then Mac Jones. However, let's say this now. I think he's looking at him purely as prospects, and he's throwing the fact that Sam Darnold has a contract looming and is not going to be cheap like these other guys are. Yeah. I think let's just safely let's just safely say he's throwing that out. Has to be. Are you still? And I don't know if he's viewing them as prospects or he's saying even after I've seen the three years of Sam Darnold in the NFL, I'm still putting him ahead of a Lance Fields and Jones.
1: He has to be looking at them as prospects. Just because I don't, I don't, I don't want to say like. DJ hasn't like studied him in depth, but I, like, you, I don't think you study – you don't study guys in the NFL like you do college prospects. Like, yeah. I think he's still basing that off of this was my eval of them coming out. I think he was a better prospect than Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Mac Jones. So,
0: which is which isn't completely off base. I don't think he's saying – it's just weird because he phrases it with inserting interesting to insert Sam Darnold's availability. Mm-hmm. You know, It's like, okay, I still don't think you take Sam Darnold and the contract situation you're getting with Sam Darnold, knowing what he's done in the NFL over – those three other guys, or else people would be clamoring to trade one of their first-round picks for him.
1: Yeah, you'd be absolutely insane to do so.
0: Insane. Fair enough. All right, let's jump to the defensive staff class. Only one guy worth a day one pick, and it's Christian Barmore of Alabama.
1: Yeah. Barmore's a dude, man. I like. I get that you can shit on this DT class, but don't shit on Christian Barmore. That guy can play ball. <laughs> is that a did. Yeah, don't <laughs> shit on Christian Barmore. We need to send that to Odell. Uh, but, Easy. 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 <laughs> but just watch this game tape against Notre Dame and Ohio State. Two offensive lines that are putting multiple NFLers on that interior and what he did to each of them. Just every single play. Dominant, unblockable. And that's for a guy who is, like I said, only a redshirt sophomore, who is six foot four, 310, long arms, has the NFL DT prototype kind of body. And I have his biggest pro here as being his bend. Like he's a flexible, you can get off low and play low for a defensive tackle. Yeah, if you watch like certain games, it's not, he's not a down to down consistency. was not there. The game to game consistency was not there. His high end, what he could do. And when, you know, when the lights shine the brightest, he was awesome. Absolutely awesome. So he is a day one guy the best defensive line prospect in this draft class, in my opinion. Who is a
0: fit for them? Who, who's
1: a fit for Christian Barber? He's, he's not, he's not, He's. that's why I said no, I mean, ideal I mean, DT, DT body because he can play were whatever.
0: taking him off the board? What, what team do you think? When, I when said the you...
1: Titans was a good fit. I thought the Vikings could be in play for him uh, before they obviously signed Dalvin Thompson, So, I like Titans at 22, 21, something like that. That'd be great.
0: All right. I had them, I had the Browns taking them. Taking Christian Barmore at the back end of the first.
1: All right, let's jump now to even like Arizona, they could use a DT. He's good. So, day two, Alim McNeil, NC State DT, the highest graded defensive tackle against the run in the Power Five this past year. I think it actually might have been college football this past year. He is. We talked to him, a freak. Like the guy gets off the line of scrimmage like lightning at 340 pounds last year. Just didn't even. Couldn't even tell he's 340 pounds because he moved like a normal defensive tackle. And what he did is one tech like, improved so much, I thought, from 2019 to 2020 in terms of just being able to hold, hold the point of attack. Obviously, some of that may have come with him being 340 pounds. But that guy was immovable by double teams this past year. Does not have pass rushing moves, though. You're going to have to teach him that. But I think he has the ability to play low. And with his physical tools, he only needs a bull rush that can be what he does. He can be your pocket-pushing nose tackle, and he can be good at it. So I, I bet on a guy like Lee McNeil, again. only a true junior. Young guy coming out at defense tackle. I am a fan of his game.
0: Multi-sport athlete in college, high school. Hit mm-hmm. bombs for the baseball team. Played running back and linebacker in Raleigh. Uh, stayed, it's, it's chose NC State over Bama, among other SEC powerhouses. And I still think, despite... He's a bigger dude. He can you you have his pro in the draft guys his explosiveness at his side. He can win early in the snap as a pass rusher. You know he can get on you if yes. you're if he's playing the true zero. The amount of pass rush wins he got playing true zero was really really impressive, and I think it speaks to him being able to win as a pass rusher in those in legitimately a phone booth. I I really like Lee McNeil, and if you're getting him on day two, top of day two, I'm, I'm sprinting the card in, especially if you do have a defense where you're playing that zero tech.
1: Yep. All right. Next up is. Marvin Wilson, Florida State. Biggest pro in the draft, guys, is power. Biggest cons is burst. A strong upper body, kind of a block controller. F- fights to the end of every rep with his hands. He will continue to try to work the pocket. But, man, it, the tape this past year was just not great. It just wasn't. It's it, bad. He's not particularly quick. He's not particularly agile. And he's just going to be. He's just going to be a, okay. Like he's just going to be a solid all-around defensive tackle. I don't think you're really getting... You're just not getting that caliber of athlete, though, sadly.
0: Unfortunate. Unfortunate. How the mighty have fallen. I think the best thing you've said about Marvin Wilson is just this is the difference between traits versus production. You know, if you're going to be not an elite-tiered athlete, you better be productive all the Maybe time. elite production. Yeah, you're going to have to be productive all the time. All right, next guy here.
1: Next guy is UCLA's Osa Odigizuwa. I'm a big fan of what he can bring to the table as a run defender and what he could be as a pass rusher. It, one of the better athletes at the position in this draft class. Only 282 pounds, but he has an interesting body type. So he's 6'1", 282, but then has 34 and 8th an inch arms. Ooh. Ridiculously long arms. And that's why he's a very good run defender at that size because he's strong as an ox and has long, length to control every block. So I, I think he's a safe bet to translate he'd be a nice like old school true three four defensive end i think that's what he could be at the next level and i still think like you've seen some development from him as a pass rusher and he looked a lot he looked good in the one-on-ones at senior bowl to where he can be offer a little bit of that it's not gonna be his game but he can offer a little bit of that next level
0: also an all-time wrestler in high school, yes. You want to
1: get into the background,
0: and I think you see that. Um, you saw, I think you saw some really good reps between him and Creed Humphrey. Guys had a, he had some success at the senior bowl. I like him. Um, uh, some notes here: Gray Rousseau just had a 30-inch vert. Ooh, that is butt. That's not good. That is not good. All right. Um, Milton Williams. We have not talked about Milton Williams enough. I love yeah. this guy's tape at Louisiana Tech, and then he goes on to the pro day and just puts on an absolute show.
1: Yeah, what he did down the stretch this year. So kind of started off slow at Louisiana tech's past year, but the violence he played with probably his last like six to eight games was scary. The guy gets off the line and just out for blood. And he is a, not just elite athlete. He's a elite, elite athlete. What's, what's the step beyond special generational, whatever you want to call it. This guy's different fire built different. Um, six foot three, 284 pounds, he had a 4'6", 7'40", 6'9", 6'3", cone, a 38.5-inch vertical, and did 34 bench press reps at 6'3", 284. That's Aaron Donald caliber pro day. That's Those are insane numbers. That guy is tailor-made to play three-tech in a penetrating one-gap defense at the NFL level. And, yeah, he was... Playing against lesser competition this past year at LA Tech. Did not get to go up against good offense tackles. But he did actually face TCU's offensive line this past year. Not the TCU's world beaters, but he faced a Power 5 offensive line. Dominated him. 81.8 pass rushing grade in that game. Finished the year with a 90.8 overall grade. All I could do is beat the guy in front of you, and he did a lot. And as another guy, so he got up to two, let's say 80 there. He's put on like 60 pounds since he got to LA Tech, has grown a ton and a lot of muscle. Interested to see like an ascender. He's ascending. This guy could be I'm interested to see where he's gonna be in like a couple of years.
0: Love to see that. All right. Jumping now to Levi and Wuzurike, Washington defensive tackle.
1: Yes, Levi and Wuzurike, he just kind of never took the next step. He had a grade over ninety back in twenty eighteen, as I believe that was his sophomore year. In part-time role, the next season, full-time role, great to take a step back into the low 80s. Just not quite consistent. Still just gets by in the fact that he can get off the line really quickly. He's got a great first step, and he's agile, and that's kind of all he wins with, though, unfortunately. Just the consistency is his biggest con in the draft guy to where that didn't get fixed at the Senior Bowl. looked the exact same yeah. thing in the one on one Sierra so Bowl was
0: a huge opportunity for him, too, because he obviously opted out of Judge the 2020, 2020 season. I yeah. thought, you know, he dropped the most swear words of any prospect I've talked to on the interview. I don't know how that factors into his evaluation. Confidence. How, how much better does he get in your opinion? Because <sighs> you talk about Milton Williams, who I think everyone would agree is an ascending player, a guy who's going to be a lot better in the mm-hmm. NFL than he was even at Louisiana Tech. We, Levi Muzarrique doesn't necessarily feel capped, but I'm interested to know like how much better well, Muzarrique gets.
1: Well, that's the thing. It's like, just feel confident a guy's going to get better. You would like to. Have- you know seeing him get better yeah yeah true like true, a, true true you know and that so. was that
0: opportunity from the senior bowl if he goes yeah. to the senior bowl and whoops people's ass for like you know four days or whatever it was yeah. that is a different you're talking about a different and people always like hate on the senior bowl like heavily affecting stock for guys that opt out of the 2020 season that's a big opportunity it's a big opportunity to show up and make some plays yeah all right next guy here one of my favorites in the class tyler shelvin the big boy out of lsu the gumbo eating monster from uh, I think Shreveport, somewhere close. To, he's from Louisiana. I don't know exactly the city, but Tyler Shelden, man. Um, hashtag fun to watch.
1: So opts out of the 2020 season, like a few weeks before. Coach O throws him under the bus, saying he was 375 pounds before he opted out. Same. Which, honestly, at that weight, you probably should have opted out. He's very high risk at the, when you're that. No, you very that No, much.
0: absolutely.
1: He should. He should not be getting. What COVID. was the
0: study? CDC said that 76 percent of covid-19 victims were either obese or yeah obesity was a
1: massive factor so good for him for opting out but his weight control has been an issue like that's the biggest thing with him if he could play at you know a nice healthy 325 he'd be a probably be a second round pick at least in his draft class but no one knows because that's been they've had to you know keep him in check at lsu it's been constant theme throughout his career Keeping that weight in check, but we did, you know, 2019, that run, 88.3 run defense grade. Not moving that guy off the ball very often. He is, as just a pure nose tackle, a very feel confident that he's going to be able to stuff the run. Anything else, he had six pressures all year back in 2019. So I don't know. You're don't not you are not going to ask him to get it. Not pressures. gonna do much else. So
0: I think he ultimately goes probably round three, round four, if and that's if his weight Wait. hasn't completely blown up i mean yep. there there's, there's that story about his aunt or i think his grandma really staying on him for the diet and obviously coach o being a big part of it as well he would like come home from practice and eat an entire little caesar's pizza like this guy was an absolute unit and continues to be i hope he can get under his weight though because like when he's on the football field and he's at in good shape i mean it's why he was what a four four star five star recruit yeah and lsu did everything in their power to get him on the football team yeah i do think that it's worth the effort if you have a coaching staff, or we talk about development all the time. If you're confident in you know the team, you have to develop Tyler Shelvin to do it well. I mean, you're going to get a huge value in him if you can find ways to keep him under 330, 340 pounds. All right, next guy here, another like run-stuffing guy, not to the same degree or size rather as Tyler Shelvin, but Tommy Togiai, one of my favorite interviews this off season as well, and a guy that had a lot of success specifically playing the run at Ohio State.
1: Yeah, really broke out this past year, but only 291 snaps. Um. We really haven't seen much from him. He was a backup prior to that. They obviously, Ohio State had a few guys drafted defensive tackle last season. Devon Hamilton. Devon Hamilton, uh Cornell. Uh, Batogiai, great bull rusher. Fairly quick, got a nice little spin move. But he's, he's kind of just on the small end, doesn't have great length for the position. And it's like obvious on tape, even he'll get locked up. But in a one-gap defense, like penetrating, he was the most impactful defender in that Clemson game, in that win over Clemson. And then low-key storyline of the national championship kind of got swept under the rug was he got, you know, he was a COVID close contact and ended up not being able to play in that national championship game, which obviously hurt them. And any chance they had of beating Alabama. So I'm still a fan. I just, man, you would have loved to have seen more of him against some better competition. Going against the Alabama line would have been really nice for yeah. his prospect profile.
0: Last one here, and a guy that's like, been mocked up all around there's a ton of different takes on this player davian nixon interior defensive lineman out of iowa i've seen him mocked as high as like 16 17 in the first round then other people have him falling to like late day two
1: yeah playmaker but not consistent defensive tackle. like doesn't consistently take on blocks well really nimble feet for a dt i can and there's some things to like about his game but man 63.1 63.1 run defense grade this past year, 66.7 pass rushing grade. The splash plays are nice, but there's not even like even out, outside the northwest Northwestern games. The one game you point to where it's like, okay, he took over that game. It was Northwestern's offensive line when he goes up against real offensive lines, like better offensive lines like Wisconsin. even if You had to throw Penn State in there. It's like it wasn't as nearly as good.
0: Updated numbers from Miami's Pro Day. We're updating these live here. You have broad, broad jumps for the following players. Brevin Jordan, nine eight. Not what I kinda of wanted him to see He's clear ten. He he did weigh in at two hundred and forty seven pounds, which I think was more than what people expected. Jalen Phillips, ten five with twenty one reps on the bench. You had you knew that was coming. Good numbers. Quincy Roche, nine eleven. Roche, nine eleven. And then Gregor Rousseau, nine seven. Worst broad of all those guys. Oh,
1: what was he doing all offseason?
0: That was not what you wanted to see. Yeah unfortunate nine seven broad and a 30 inch vert fuck
1: that's not good explosive numbers at all so We're phillips, phillips
0: had that. a ten five broad and a 36 inch vert
1: okay those are that's good range good range
0: all right jumping now to day, day three, three guys right, i'll just read them off and then we we'll go from there
1: Yes. Oh, I gave you some hints here with the the schools. I
0: I knew the schools anyway. J.T. Tufele USC. Bobby Brown of Texas A&M, another big boy similar to Tyler Shelvin and that he's just going to be a people leader in the middle. Marlon Pelotu of USC. Kyrus Tonga, BYU. Jonathan Marshall of Arkansas. Quinton Bohanna, Kentucky. And then O'Brien Goodson of
1: Memphis. So I think Bobby Brown and of... Texas A&M and Kyrus Tonga of BYU are kind of your nose tackle run stuffers in this draft class. Tonga has some crazy reps on his tape where he just runs with centers, but he really struggles to continually play low. If you watch the San Diego State tape, they ate his. I was about to say ate his ass. They ate his lunch. <laughs> They just ate his ass, too. They just got, they got after him. Like, he was not an impact player in that game. Sometimes you got to do it. Struggles against double teams and just struggles to play low, a little stiff, lower half. But power, like the strength in his upper body is pretty legit. Like, he threw guys around. So he's an intriguing guy. I could see him going higher than we have him as day three guy. I could see him going somewhere on day two. Um, USC duo, people are higher them than we are. They're just not super consistently impactful. I said the Marlon two week below too, after he made, you know, Daniel Jeremiah's top 50, I was like, he watched the Utah game. Cause the Utah game is what he did. There was so different from any other game that he's put on tape this past year to was an opt out in 2020. Uh, just has really bad, balance issues like tweet below is not in, in
0: daniel jeremiah's top 50 anymore not, top not top sure anymore. if he turned on the utah game or not i think we've made the comparison to below two to eddie banderdos in the past which yes i think is
1: very similar and then um, the last guy i want to touch on here o'brien goodson fun to watch hall of famer i'm inducting him <laughs> let's go he is five foot ten 276 pound nose tackle no yes i haven't watched this guy he is fun to watch hall of famer incredible tape to watch recommend to anybody out there. Memphis defensive tackle, O'Brien Goodson. Quick as can be. I mean lightning. I mean off you the have ball. to be if you're 5'10,
0: 276 playing nose.
1: No man wins. Needs, it's Tough I, to get lower than that. Yeah. I don't and he, I don't think he hacks it in the NFL, but I want to see him get a chance. I want to see him in preseason at least.
0: At least. At least. I will say we talk about a lot about positional value on this podcast. You target positions of high value early. So on the other side of that, where I'm Sprinting the card in or or targeting on late day two and day three are these low positions. Like if you can, you're telling me you can get a Bobby Brown on day three. Like that is what I want. I want to spend the the draft capital on day three on those positions where you can get like you know depth quality depth pieces at defensive tackle where you you're you're not getting that at quarterback. You're not getting that at edge defender. Like I do think that interior defensive line, specifically the bigger nose tackle, run stuffing types. Like go get those guys late day two, day three. Go get linebackers late to uh specific off ball linebackers late day two, day three, box yeah. safeties in some areas. There
1: is a lot to be said for knowing when you can find when and where you can find talent. Yeah, you're not gonna like edge rushers may look sweet in the sixth round, those guys don't do anything. A, a DT though in the fifth, sixth round that can stuff the run, you might be able to find a lot. If those happen. All the time.
0: And it comes back to and you've mentioned this before, where the positions where elite athleticism isn't as pertinent or necessary for success in the NFL. Like you've said that about interior offensive line, interior defensive line, I think is similar. Is that is that what it is? Is that what has these guys fall? These productive players at those positions fall? Because you don't need to be an eleven foot broad, forty inch vertical player to be talented or productive at those respective positions.
1: I think that's a Big aspect of it. Yes. Interesting.
0: Very cool. Well, this was the defensive line overview. Also dived into the trades, obviously, at the top. Let's go ahead and jump now to interviews with two cornerbacks, Asante Samuel Jr. of Florida State and then Ifatu Melifanmu of Syracuse. Now joining the Two Foreign Drafts podcast is former Florida State cornerback Asante Samuel Jr. Asante, great to have you on the show.
2: Uh, Thanks for having me.
0: So let's let's start with your pro day. How do you feel like that went? What was some of the feedback you got from coaches and evaluators down there? How was that pro day experience for you?
2: Uh, the pro day went good. Um, the the scout said I did an amazing job, but I felt like I could have did better on my vert and um, just bench press. I could have got a little bit more broad jump. I could have. I just felt like I could have did a little bit more. But um, all in all, they said it was a, a good showing.
0: Gotcha, man. And, and wh- who were you training with before your pro day? And, and talk to me more about that process and how that went for you.
2: Uh, I was training uh, training with um, Brent Calloway, uh, Exos, in Dallas. Um, great facility, great people, um, and they got me right for the um, combine. Um, I'm just thankful for um, being able to train there with them.
0: And have you had a lot of opportunities so far to talk to NFL teams or talk to you know evaluators and those things about you know your game and and your role specifically in the NFL?
2: Oh uh, yeah, well I talked to like um literally like thirty teams, so um I get um, different feedback from different teams, and um they tell me um most of all just um they like the way I play, I play with uh, aggressiveness and um, natural instincts, and um they just know I'm a um, real baller.
0: I think that's what stands out for me, man. I want to talk about, you know, your strengths when, you know, PFF does a lot of obviously scouting and evaluating talent and those things. I think the biggest strength for you is, you know, you play with a lot of aggressiveness, you tackle very well, and you are a very physical cornerback, despite being not like the biggest guy in this class. Obviously you have other cornerbacks in this class standing six foot two, 210 pounds, but you play with that physical style. Do you feel like that is your biggest strength or your biggest kind of, or your instincts, really your biggest strength in this class? Or what do you feel like separates you from the other corners in this class?
2: I just feel like my um, ball production, um, I'm always near the ball, whether it's a forced fumble, um, fumble recovery, uh, interception, pass deflection, just anything with the ball. I feel like I'm just a natural ball hawk.
0: That's good, man. Very cool. And I, I do think that, you know, other people I've talked to also see that about your game, also see that ball hawking, you know, uh, mentality that you do play with. I'd be interested to know what you played, the, what weight did you play the season at this past year? I think at your pro day you weighed in around 180 pounds. Did you play at that weight this past season?
2: Uh, no, I play that uh, around like one eighty six, one eighty seven.
0: Mm-hmm. Gotcha, man. And I'd be interested to know more about kind of your preparation and what goes into a given game week for you at Florida State. You know, I'm sure a lot of film study, specifically playing the quarterback position, a lot of film study in those things. What exactly are you looking for on film when you're preparing for a certain opponent or a certain receiver? Oh, uh,
2: well, I'm looking on film. I'm looking for uh, the types of formations they're doing. uh, their tendencies, whether they like to go to the boundary or the field. Uh, I look at the down and distance in certain situations and um, just trying to be a student of the game, just looking at every little detail on um, the, the wide receiver splits. Um, I'll just try to find anything to uh, separate myself from the opponent.
0: And how do you feel like that film preparation has kind of changed this off season? Have you had a lot of opportunity to maybe watch film on yourself, watch film on NFL guys, NFL cornerbacks, uh, or even NFL receivers? I know a lot of defensive backs, you know, entering this draft have watched some guys like Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins to kind of prepare themselves for the NFL. What have you been watching on film, you know, this offseason?
2: season? Uh, I've just been watching um, different schemes that teams like to run, what uh, what they like to run against certain defenses, and um, just how uh, offenses are trying to attack. The defenses in the NFL today, and just um, certain guys I watch like Odell, uh, Stephon Diggs, um, and um, just certain receivers I watch, and um, just trying to prepare for the next level.
1: Gotcha. Uh,
0: do Do you feel like i am just to know? Going back to you know the feedback that you received from teams, have teams talked about where they want to play you at the next level? Outside corner, slot. I know you've had some reps at safety at Florida State, or do you kind of think you're going to be this moving chess piece, this versatile defensive back in the NFL?
2: Uh, Well, most of the teams I talk to, they want me to play outside, but um, most of them, they also want me to play inside too. So uh, I feel like, just like you said, I'm a moving chess piece, wherever they want to put me on, uh, I'm sure I'll make plays and uh, I just feel comfortable wherever, wherever I'm at on the field.
0: You know, some of the best cornerbacks in the NFL play inside and outside because they're shadowing, you know, obviously opponents, you know, top receivers and those guys, those receivers like Michael Thomas, Tyreek Hill, a lot of really talented receivers play a lot of snaps in the slot. I've interested to know, I've asked other cornerback prospects this as well, but there's some cornerback prospects that in their defense will play a side, play outside or play one side of the field and play that through a game. And there's others that will shadow guys and have have more opportunities to pick up tendencies from a specific receiver. Talk to me about the difference between playing those two types of roles in a defense and which one is necessarily easier. Cause Richard Sherman is kind of famous for playing one side, doesn't shadow what's on and has the benefits of working the boundary and these different things. While Stefan Gilmore will shadow receivers. And sometimes that can be difficult playing in the slot, but you get that opportunity to understand a receiver and follow the same guy over and over. Yeah.
2: I feel like uh saddle the guy is more, um, definitely more competitive. And, um, just stand on one side. It um it allows you to play play to your strengths, but uh, it also allows the uh, the offense to do whatever they want to do and um get you on the number two receiver if you're supposed to be sticking to number one. So uh, it has its pros and cons. But I feel like uh, shadowing is definitely more challenging than um. But uh, left and right, I mean, it's no it's nothing bad about left and right. But I mean, if that's your scheme, that's your scheme. You gotta do what the coach said. But um,
0: I mean, yeah, definitely uh, shadowing. You know, with that competitiveness, do you ever let that get out on the field? Do you ever talk a little trash? There's so much. I mean, the wide receiver cornerback matchup is just such a, it's a phys, uh, competitive role. It's like a game within a game, to where you almost have to get into the mental side of it. I know Marcus Peters talks a lot of trash. Richard Sherman talks a lot of trash. How do you approach that side of the game?
2: Oh well, I talk. I talk a lot of trash. So <laughs> it depends who I'm playing against. Really, um, if they if they're kind of quiet, I'll be. Locked in and focused, but uh, if I have a guy that's talking uh the whole game, I'm gonna talk right with him And we can talk until the game's over. With. We can talk after the game if you want to, um, but it doesn't really matter to me. But I, I like to talk a little trash, it keeps me uh energizing, um, uh, it makes the game a little bit more fun.
0: I agree, man. I'm a big, I'm a big trash talking fan, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of it. Uh, who are some of the best receivers at talking trash that you've gone against in your college career?
2: Uh. I feel like uh Miami as a whole, they always talking a lot of trash without <laughs> rivalry. But um my uh my boy Trayvon Grimes, he definitely is a trash talker. We um we went to the same high school and uh we kind of like have a little chemistry, you know. Nice. Yeah, so um, whenever we play each other, we always going at it the whole game. And just yeah, that's I feel like uh Trayvon Grimes is the most trash talking receiver I faced in my college career.
0: Taking that question just beyond trash talk, who are some of the best receivers you feel like you've gone against in your career?
2: Uh, I'd say uh, Trayvon Browns, um, uh, Chase Claypool, um, De'Ami Brown. Those are the ones that stick out right now. I can't. I, I went against a lot of great receivers, but I can't really think of them right now. But those are the three that stick out right now.
0: Gotcha. Well, we can finish with this one, man. I really appreciate you setting aside the time. I'd love to know kind of what your motivation is to kind of continue to play the – continue your NFL career or your football career into the NFL and obviously make all the sacrifices that come with playing football at the collegiate level and then in the NFL. What is your motivation or your why behind playing football?
2: Well, my why, I've been playing football since I was uh, five years old. And um, since i ever been uh, – since I've been playing football, I just felt like uh, – my dream was to become an NFL player and play in the NFL for a long time. So I'm um, one step closer to that dream. And um, the the feeling of me getting closer to that dream, I just feel like uh, that kind of drives me a little bit more and pushing me a little bit harder. So I'm just thankful to be in this position. And um, I just want to thank God for everything he's doing for me.
0: Fantastic stuff, man. I really appreciate it. And I wish you the best of luck moving forward.
2: All right. Thank you. Appreciate you for having me.
0: Now joining the Two Foreign Drafts podcast is former Syracuse cornerback Ifatu Melofanwu. Ifatu, great to have you on the show.
3: Yeah, no, thank thank you for having me. I appreciate that.
0: Of course, man. I'd like to start with you know what you've been up to this offseason. Obviously, you preparing for a Syracuse pro day here soon. What have you been working on? How's it going?
3: Uh, so definitely it's definitely been going well. I'm on in Tampa training with Yo Murphy, uh, Yo Murphy performance. Um, just working on any everything really. Uh Bert. 40, broad, everything I'm going to be doing at Pro Day I've been working on.
0: Nice, man. And when is that Pro Day for Syracuse?
3: It's actually a week from today. It's March 19th.
0: Oh, man, that's actually early. That's awesome because I talked to some guys where they have theirs like April 9th, so they're going to have to stay in that like kind of peak performance shape for a lot longer. Obviously, you're not going to completely fall off the rails, but I'm sure you won't be doing a ton of eating out until after that pro day and getting everything done there. Um, but so what what weight did you play at this past season, and are you working to a new goal weight ahead of this pro day?
3: Um, So I started the season at two thirteen. So my first, the first game UNT, I I weighed in at 213 and then, you know, during the season, you kind of gradually just drop down and wait a little bit. So I think I ended around like 208, but right now I'm kind of just working to be like around uh, 210, like that area. I weighed in at the senior bowl at 212, so it's just somewhere really around there.
0: And talk more about that senior bowl experience. How, how awesome, you know, how, how did that, what were some key takeaways you had from that senior bowl experience, obviously working with NFL coaches and talking to a lot of talent evaluators there working in the one-on-ones, what was that experience like? And what were some key takeaways for you?
3: Yeah, no, that, that was a, that was a very good experience, you know, just going against the top guys in the country, um, and just meeting dudes from everywhere and, and getting the chance to get firsthand NFL coaching, you know, a lot earlier than some of the dudes that didn't get invited, um, some things I learned that it it's really like it's really like a business. Everything moves fast. Um, we you know we have basically one day to learn everything, um, so it, it definitely moves fast, and you definitely got to be on the p's and q's. And you know because everyone's good now at this next level, everyone's good, so you got to be on top of your technique and everything like that.
0: And, and was there any you know, specific feedback that you got from coaches or some of the evaluators that you talked to at the Senior Bowl that you feel like you want to implement this off season or implement into your game in the NFL?
3: Yeah, um, definitely. I want to, I definitely need to work on like pad level and weight distribution, just being a taller guy, you know, staying low and my back pedal and press will just help me move quicker and get in and out of breaks and transitions.
0: I, I think I'm glad you brought up, you know, the length and, you know, all that you know, six foot three two ten like you said, really long arms. That's going to really help you in the NFL. And it's something that kind of PFF sees as one of your biggest strengths in this class. You have legit rare physical tools among other cornerbacks in this draft class. Do you feel like that is really what separates you in this draft class among the other cornerbacks? Or do you feel like there's something else to your game that really you know, sets you apart? Put the scouting hat on for me and tell me, you know, what, what you feel like is your best trait or what really is your strength?
3: Um, I feel like that that definitely sets me apart, just the length I have and the size. But I just feel like what sets me apart is I feel like I'm really just – I'm an all-around corner. Like, uh, you know, I tackle. I'm physical. Um, you know, I'm a willing tackler. Play play, man, good in man coverage, good in zone. I, I had uh, – you know, I've had two different defensive coordinators, so I've played in two different schemes. I've had three different um, corners coaches, so I've learned a lot of different things. Uh, So I feel like I'm really just well-rounded and do a lot of things well. And then on top of that, my athletic ability and, you know, my size and and speed and everything.
0: I'd love to hear more about kind of your process in a given game week at Syracuse, how you prepared for an upcoming opponent, specifically, you know, a receiver or an offense. What were you looking for on film and what were you working on in practice to kind of prepare each week? What does a normal game week look like for you?
3: Yeah, so about like Monday, Monday through Thursday and a little bit, a little bit at the, um, the hotel the night before I watched a little bit of film, but Monday through Thursday is really when I watch most of, most of my film, you know, the first day I'll just watch, you know, one or two games of the opponent kind of get a feel for them. And then each day I'll break it down by, by formation, based down the distance and by formation. Um, so, you know, uh, first day I might do two by two next day. I might do about one. And the next day, Thursday, I'll do just like red zone and third down. Um, so that's that's kind of my preparation and how I go into it. And then on top of that, after practice, you know, if it's a game we're going to be playing a lot of cover four, and I'm going to be playing a lot of off, you know, I'll work five ten minutes after with the other corner, uh, Garrett Williams, and we'll just do little stuff that we know we need to um, improve on, or we're going to be doing a lot in that in that game.
0: And how has that kind of film preparation changed this offseason? Are you watching a lot of film on yourself or film on NFL guys? Are you trying to like take game or kind of improve your own film and also look at guys in the NFL that maybe you want to pattern your game after?
3: Um, well, I feel like I always kind of watch different dudes in the NFL, um, you know, and see if I could take things from their game. But I feel like mostly I'm kind of just re-watching my film and trying to critique myself and, uh, you know, work to improve different things.
0: You know, something I like to bring up a ton with cornerbacks specifically is this kind of game within a game, this chess match between, you know, opposing receivers, because it's such a one-on-one position where you're having to kind of beat the same player or go up against the same player consistently. I feel like there's a lot of, there's a mental side of it. You know, you're talking trash a little bit, trying to get in their head, trying to predict tendencies, trying to pick up things pre-snap. How how, how do you approach that, you know, specifically? Do you like to get in their head? Do you like to play the mental side at all? Talk some trash or do you kind of stay quiet and, and kind of let the game come to you?
3: I feel like mostly, most of the time I stay quiet unless something's said to me or something that gets me fired up. But most of the time I really don't, I don't say anything.
0: Do you feel like that has a big factor though? Do you think it's in like – it's the mental side of playing corner because, you know, talk. You, know, you hear that cliche all the time. Like you have to have a short memory. You're going to give up a lot of catches like that kind of stuff. Like I feel like that mental aspect of it, of talking trash can help you give edges. Do you feel like some cornerbacks or some receivers really try to lean on that to like have an edge in, in the game?
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It just really depends what type of guy you are. Um, sometimes, sometimes talking trash and stuff, it, it helps you with your confidence, helps you play better. You know, other times, like, like me, sometimes not not saying anything and, and staying quiet kind of just helps me, uh, you know, keep a keep a level head and, and lock in. Um, but there's definitely times I do get fired up, especially if he says something to me that I make a play. So uh, it really just depends what type of type of guy you are.
0: I'd love to finish with this, Afatso, and I really appreciate the time. I'd be interested to hear kind of your motivation for pursuing the game at the level you are and, and making the sacrifices you do to play both at the collegiate level and obviously in the in the NFL. What is your motivation? What is your why to continue playing football at such a high level?
3: Yeah, so my why is um, definitely just the, the love for the game. I've been playing since I was seven, and I, I, I've loved it ever since. Um, just the competition with my, my brothers um, obviously my brother being in the NFL, we just push each other. You know, he pushes me to go harder. You know, if I, if I get a if I get a PBU, it should have been a pick. If I get a pick, it should have been a pick six. So just things like that motivate me. And just like, just my whole support system, my mom, uh, my mom, my brothers, my family, and just, uh, trying to prove them right.
0: Awesome, man. I didn't definitely appreciate that. I think the family is obviously super, super important. Like I said, really, we appreciate you setting aside the time and I wish you the best of luck moving forward.
3: Thank
0: you. I appreciate you for having me. Remember, leave a five-star review with a question for the mailbag and then send me a screenshot of it. You're going to get a chance to win a free draft guide. Just go leave a five-star review. Send me a screenshot of it in Twitter on the DMs. They're open, wide open, to go get a free draft guide or get a chance to win a free draft guide. That's going to do it, though. Austin Gale, Mike Quinn, David Sofaro, Mike Renner, two-for-one drafts.